have, you know, we have a lot to talk about. You know, obviously we're getting close to Purim. So you have to talk about Purim. Uh, you have to also live with the parshias that we're in, the Nyan of the Mishkan, Beis Hamikdash, and I can't help but focusing on the fact that I'm in Chutzlarts, talking to Yidden in Eretz Yisrael, who for the most part came from Chutzlarts. So I think that's also important Indian to think about. What's what's that? What does that mean on a deeper level? Chutzlarts, Eretz Yisrael. What is? How does one experience God? In Chutzlaretz, how does one experience God in Eretz Yisrael, and how does one experience God when you were from Chutzlaretz and now are in Eretz Yisrael? And we'll see; it's connected to Parm, it's connected to these parashas. But let's put it all to the side. You know, let's take a step back. We'll go slow. <clears throat> so, I mean, not too slow. I'm not going to keep you here all night, you know, but uh, a little bit. So, yeah, okay, fine. So we'll go like this. You know, any topic of Torah that a person learns. I personally feel it's very important to go in with a certain mindset of understanding that the Torah and any particular topic is called a Torah's Chaim. It's a Torah that's alive. And life is always defined based on two things, a relationship of two things, body and soul. Body and soul. A body without a soul is not what you're looking for, and a soul without a body is not what you're looking for either. Life means a, a connection, a bond between those two, those two entities. A body has to acknowledge itself as reflective of the soul. And the soul needs a body for it to be manifest through. So they, they both need each other. And if the Torah is called a Torah's Chaim, then that means the only way to properly come, come to any particular topic of Torah is by understanding that there's a body of Torah, that's Halacha, Shas, and so on. And then there's the Neshama of Torah, there's Primis Torah, there's the Yelokos, there's a divinity, there's the Avaida, there's the the esoteric reality that's pulsating through that body. And to try to connect to the esoteric without the body, and trying to just have a body without the soul, either way is disappointing. So it has to be with both. So the whole Yantav of Perm, as we know, is really it's revolving around one mitzvah, which is Mechias Amalek, right? Destroying Amalek. That's, the, that's where it's all coming from, really, in Parsha Zohar before Purim. Haman is from Amalek. It's the conflict between Amalek and the Jewish people. And so let's let's use that as sort of a Pesach into this whole discussion of Purim, the, the Parshias, Eretz Yisrael versus Chutzlarts. We'll use that. But let's, again, body and soul. So let's investigate a little bit aspect in Halacha of that mitzvah of destroying Amalek. And we'll see where that takes us. Okay, so it's like this. There's a Gemara in Sanhedrin on... Uh, Okay, the Gemara says a, a statement like this. The Gemara, it's a relatively well-known statement. The Gemara says, Rabbi Yehuda Aymer, Rabbi Yehuda said, Gimel mitzvah nitztavu Yisrael b'knisas in la'aretz. Right? There are three mitzvahs that the Jewish people were commanded when we came into Eretz Yisrael. Laham melech, to establish a king, a malchus. Lahachris zare shalomolek, to destroy a molek, that's number two. And number three, livnes lahem beis habechir, to build a beis hamegdash. Now the Gemara goes on to say that it's in that order. It's in that order. Having a king, setting up a malchus, then number two, destroying Amalek, and then number three, building a base of Megdash. Okay? That's the Gemara. And the, the Gemara quotes Psukim to show that that's the order. Now we're not going to be focused on the first mitzvah of, build, of establishing a king, that's not for now, but at least the next two mitzvahs, that's what we're going to be focusing on. Destroying Amalek, and then, and only then, building a base of Megdash. Now the Gemara shows the Gemara gives an example of this is not just like a theoretical idea. 
the Gemara shows practically that this is exactly the experience that David Melch personally had. It says in Pasuk, the Gemara quotes this, the Pasuk says regarding David, When David HaMelech was able to settle in his kingdom, and Hashem gave him menucha from all the enemies, including Amalek, so then the Pasuk says, So David HaMelech goes to the Navi, Nasan, and says, you know, it's time to build the Beis HaMikdash. Why all of a sudden now? Somewhere it says, because he was at a time of peace with all the enemies of the Jewish people. In other words, he conquered all the enemies of the Jewish people, including Amalek. Ah, so that's the second mitzvah of destroying Amalek. And now you can proceed to build a Beis HaMikdash. And that's what he tried to do. Okay, the Navi tells him that you're not going to be the one to build it, but your son will. But it's all because he had this state of, of, of uh, conquest, and he conquered all the enemies, including Amalek. That's the, that's the Gemara. So the Achorinim ask a very simple question, which is like, I don't get it. The second mitzvah is, again, as the Gemara said, Lahachris Zarish Amalek, to wipe out Amalek. And then, and only then, do you have the mitzvah building a base of Megdash. The Achorinim ask, I don't get it. Even though it's true that David and Melech was in a state of peace, and maybe he was the dominant you know, uh, you know, kingdom in the in the area, and he had control over Amalek, but he certainly didn't wipe out Amalek. I mean, Haman is a descendant of Amalek, and that's hundreds of years later. So clearly, Amalek is not completely wiped out. So if the if in order to build a base on Migdash, you have to fulfill the mitzvah of Mechias Amalek, I mean, David Amalek did not fulfill the mitzvah of Mechias Amalek, obviously, because Amalek survives. So what exactly does it mean? that the Gemara is saying that uh, you need to fulfill the mitzvah of Mechiyas HaMalek, and only then can you build a Beis HaMikdash, and that's exactly the process that David HaMelech took. What David, he didn't destroy HaMalek. So it's like this. There's a Chiddush from the Marsha, and this, is, this opens up the entire Sogya. The Marsha has a Chiddush, and he says the following idea. And it's something that I think intuitively we sort of sense and feel, but the Marsha points this out. He says that we, we usually assume that the mitzvah of destroying HaMalek is 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 black and white, black and white. The mitzvah is wiping out every single member of that nationhood of Amalek, and only if, when every single member of that nation is wiped out, then and only then have you fulfilled the mitzvah, and then and only then could you then go on to build the base of Megdash. Says Marshal, that's not true. The the mitzvah of Mechias Amalek has gradations; it has levels to it. There's madregas of that mitzvah. It's certainly true. The highest level of Mechiyas HaMalek means to wipe out every single member. True. And that ultimately hasn't happened yet. But says the Marsha, there's Madragas. There's Madragas. And there, we, we, can, we can say that there's sort of like, you know, there's, the, let's say, three Madragas of, of Mechiyas HaMalek. And each Madraga allows you to build a corresponding level based on Mekdash. So there's levels in Mechiyas HaMalek, and depending on the level that you're holding and you've reached in the midst of destroying Amalek, to that degree, that's the level of Beis HaMikdash you can build. Okay, we'll explain. Level number one. Level number one of Mechia Samalek is something that Yeshua ben Nun did with our first attack with Amalek. Amalek attacks us after we leave Mitzrayim. And Moshe Rabbeinu sends Yeshua ben Nun to go wage war against Amalek. And what does it say? That Yeshua Benun weakens Amalek. He subdues Amalek, he chases them back, he pushes them, pushes them back. Says, says, say the Achorin and Marsha, that's not just self-defense. That is level one of Mechiyas Amalek. 
Because Mechiyas Amalek doesn't only mean destroying every single citizen. It means, on a national stage, first level is subduing Amalek. Subduing Amalek. Pushing them back, making them, making them retreat, uh, you know, uh, making them uh, less comfortable and less confident in attacking us. That's first level. And because of that, because of that basic level of Mechiyas Amalek, we were Zaycha to then have the Mishkan. And the Mishkan is also Beis HaMikdash, but it's basic level. Be- most fundamental level of Mechiyas HaMalek allows you to have most basic fundamental level of, of Beis HaMikdash, which is Mishkan. Then you have level two. Level two is what Dovna Melch did. Level two was not, Dovna Melch wasn't just pushing back Amalek. The Pasuk describes in Sefer Shmuel that Dovna Melech, he sent Yoav, his main general, to go fight against Amalek. And what he did to Amalek, he didn't wipe out every citizen. Because again, Haman, you know, eventually rises up. So he didn't destroy every citizen. But what he did do was completely abolish their, their statehood. There was no longer an empire, a malchus, a kingdom of Amalek. They had individual members running around, intermarrying in other tribes and so on. But there was no statehood of Amalek. That's already stage two. That's already step two. And that's also called Mechias Amalek. Again, not complete, but it's a stage two of Mechias Amalek. When you have stage two of Mechias Amalek, that then allows you to have stage two of Beis Amigdash, which is what we call Beis Amigdash. So stage one was Mishkan, stage two is first Beis Amigdash. Right? And that's what Shalom built, because David accomplished stage two of Mechias Amalek. And then finally you have stage three of Mechias Amalek. What's the final completion of Mechias Amalek? That's every single member, there shouldn't be any trace of, the, of any Amaleki left behind. That's a full completion of Amalek. And only when that takes place can we then have the highest level of Beis Amikdash, which is, and this is going to sound a little bit funny, which is a combination of Mishkan and Mikdash. Okay? These are all things that we're going to explain. So, so far, in other words, what we have so far is as follows. Three Madregas of Mechias Amalek. Number one, just weakening them, like Yeshua ben Nun did. Okay? You have stage two, which is destroying their nationhood. That's David Melech. And then you have the final Madrega, which is destroying every member of Amalek. Now, that final stage maybe didn't happen yet, but certainly Purim is a Yontif, which is celebrating at least a taste and a Tayameha of that final, le- final level of Mechias Amalek. And these three levels of Mechias Amalek, each one allows us entrance into a particular level of Beis Amigdash. First level gives us Mishkan. Second level gives us Beis Amigdash. Final level gives us Mishkan, Mikdash together. That's what we find. Now let me... Now let me explain this, okay? So far it's just theoretical. The Gemara in fact tells us that Mishkan Ikri Mikdash and Mikdash Ikri Mishkan. So there is such a thing that's called the Mishkan and there's such a thing that's called the Mikdash. Each one alone is amazing. And, that's, and Mishkan is stage one, Mikdash is stage two. But stage three mm-hmm. is Mishkan and Mikdash united and together. And that's going to be the third base of Mikdash, really, after there's a complete fulfillment of the mitzvah of Mechiyas HaMalek. Okay. So that's, that's the basic background that we see. That's the model that we're, that we're coming up with. Now let me begin to explain what that means. What's the difference between Mishkan versus Beis HaMikdash 
And what does it mean, a Mishkan and Mikdash together? That's, that's what we have to figure out. What exactly does that mean? <clears throat> okay, so let me share with you the following Chiddush that we find from the Ragged Shavr, okay? I promise we're going to get to Chesidah soon, okay? We're, we're getting there. Just We're building, like I said, we have to build a skeleton. You have to build a skeleton, you have to build a structure, and then you can put the Neshama in. So we're working on it. <clears throat> the the Raghachavah asks a few questions like this, very simple questions. There's a Gemara in Sanhedrin. The Gemara in Sanhedrin, Tav Samach Tesamid Beis, makes the Cheshben to prove that B'Tzalel, who we know was the uh, manager of building the Mishkan, the Gemara makes the Cheshben to prove that B'Tzalel was Bar Mitzvah. He was 13 years old, not less than 13 years old. Says the Raghachavah, the Briskarav also makes the same point, that the Gemara is not saying this randomly, the Gemara is making an observation, the Gemara is making a point, that Ketanim are unable to be involved in building the Mishkan. The Mishkan had to be built by Gedolim. You had to be a Bardas in order to build the Mishkan, and therefore the Gemara has no choice but to figure out ways to prove that Betzal was Taka 13 years old, and he was not less than that. Why do you have to be a Gadol? So the, the Ragat Shavar and the Biskarov both say the same thing, which is, because in order to build the Mishkan, you need Das. It needs to be built with Lushma. It has to be made Lushma. You have to have Kavana. And so in order to have Kavana, you need a certain level of Das. So you need to be Bar Mitzvah in order to build the Mishkan. That's the Ragat Shavar. That's the point they make. The problem is, they ask a contradiction. The Gemara says, uh, in a couple places, in the Gemara Megillah, in other places as well, Gemara and Shabbos, the Gemara says, Ein mevatlin t'inoiki shabbos rabbam, that if we have to build a base Migdash and we're you know we're uh, you know we're, we're, we need a few hands and you and we could use uh, some hands even from the kids in Cheder, we don't stop them from learning in yeshiva to help us build the base Migdash. Ask the Ragat Shavar and the Briskarov, but it sounds like if they did stop from learning, let's say it was during recess anyway, you know what I mean, or during the summer, and they do lay, do participate in the building of Beis that would be okay. So I don't get it. You're making Cheshbonis to show how Betzal has to be 13. Because if you're less than 13, nothing doing. You can't have any part of building, building the Mishkan. Why is it then that when it comes to the Beis HaMikdash, the Gemara says we don't stop kids from learning in order to help build. And if you would, they couldn't, they, they're not allowed to build, they're not able to. So that's one contradiction the, 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 the Ragat Shavar makes. Another contradiction he points out is another thing. The, the Gemara tells the Raman Paskins like this, that when it comes to the, the building of the Beis HaMikdash, so the Raman Paskins, that the building of the Beis HaMikdash is not Doich HaShabbos. It's not Doich HaShabbos. You build it during the six days of the week, come Shabbos, there's an Isra Malachi, you don't build the Beis HaMikdash on Shabbos. Again, the, 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 the Ragat Shavar asked the Stira, the Gemara in Maid Kadin tells us that when it came to the sacrifices that were sacrificed with the Chanukah Samishkan, the dedication of the Mishkan, which were karbanis that were necessary in order to establish the Mishkan as a Mishkan, it was done even on Shabbos too. So ask the Ragat Shavarastira, when it comes to building the Beis HaMikdash, you're telling me you can't build it on Shabbos. It's not Deich Shabbos. Building of the Beis HaMikdash is not Deich Shabbos. But yet when it comes to the inaugural sacrifices of the Mishkan, might not be building the structure, but it's halachically establishing this structure as Mishkan, that is Deich So which one is it? Is it Deich or not Deich 
Okay, so so says the Ragachavar, this is the Nakuda. The Ragachavar says the following. We have to think about this. What exactly is the mitzvah of building Beis HaMikdash? Two possibilities. Is the mitzvah to actually build a Beis HaMikdash? And every single brick that you lay in terms of building that structure based on Migdash, that's the mitzvah. It's a mitzvah which is hands-on. It's a mitzvah which you are actively participating in and you are accomplishing. I am building a on Migdash. Or, no. The building of the Beis Migdash is a hechsher mitzvah. The mitzvah is to have a Beis Migdash built. That's the question. Is the mitzvah of building a Beis Migdash the, the mice of the act of building? And every single brick I lay... I can make a bracha on it, you know, and so on. Or, no, no, no. Everything I'm doing is just facilitating there being a Beis HaMikdash. I'll give you an example, you know, uh, when you build a sukkah on sukkahs. There's no mitzvah of building a sukkah. I mean, you have to have a sukkah on sukkahs because you need it. But the act of building a sukkah is not the mitzvah. When it comes to, uh, you know, um, other mitzvah, let's say putting up a mezuzah. Mitzvah is putting up the mezuzah. You make a bracha on that. There's no bracha on building a sukkah. Says the, said the, the Ragat Shavar, this is the essential difference between Mishkan and Mikdash. When it came to the Mishkan, the mitzvah was building the Mishkan. The act of building the Mishkan was the mitzvah. Therefore, says the Ragat Shavar, everything fits into place when it comes to Mishkan. Because the mitzvah is the act of building, then the human beings that are actually building, they're the ones doing the mitzvah. And because of that, it requires lishma, and you have to be a gadol in order to do that. So the Gemara therefore has to prove that Petzala, who's building the Mishkan, was a gadol. And because of that, the mitzvah of building the Mishkan, the act of building is a maisa mitzvah, it's Daich Shabbos. And therefore the Karbanis brought in order to establish the Mishkan as, as workable, as usable, is Daich Shabbos. But that's all Mishkan. Says the Ragat Shavar, the mitzvah of Beis Hamigdash is not like that. The mitzvah of Beis Ham, the definition of Beis Hamigdash is not to build a Beis Hamigdash. The mitzvah of Beis Hamigdash is to make sure a Beis Hamigdash is there, to facilitate there being a Beis Hamigdash. But the act of building the Beis Hamigdash is not the mitzvah itself. It's like building a sukkah. It's a hechsher mitzvah. Because of that, it doesn't require lishma, because what I'm doing. Is not the mitzvah itself. I'm just making sure that at the end of the day, there's a structure built. And the structure by itself is activated. It doesn't require me. I'm not the one doing it anyway. Therefore, although B'tzalel had to be bar mitzvah, because he's building the mishkan, but when it comes to Beis HaMikdash, even school children, if it's not stopping them from learning, they could participate. Why? Because when it comes to Beis HaMikdash, they're not... They're not the ones creating the Beis HaMikdash. The whole mitzvah is just making sure that at the end of the day, there's a structure there. Who builds the structure? It doesn't really make a difference. The Ragacharva even suggests maybe Gaim could build the Beis HaMikdash. It, it, it's irrelevant. You don't need any Lishma. It's just making sure that it's there at the end of the day. And because of that, although the Mishkan, building the Mishkan is Daich Shabbos, because the act of building is a mitzvah, but the building of the Beis HaMikdash is not Daich Shabbos. Why? Because it's not, the building is not a mitzvah. It's just, it's, it's a hechsher mitzvah. It's a hachana. It's preparation. The mitzvah is having the mikdash being built. But the act of building is not choshev enough as a mitzvah in order to override Shabbos. These are the two separate things. <clears throat> and the Rogat points this out. He says the language of the Rambam in the beginning of Hilchas Beis where he talks about the mitzvah of building the mikdash, 
The Rambam's language is mitzvah saseh. There's a positive mitzvah. La sois beis La sois beis That there should be a beis amigdash. He doesn't say the word live nice to build. He says la sois. La sois means make do everything you have to do in order to make sure that there is a beis amigdash. And he quotes the pasuk for asuli mikdash v'shechanti b'saycha. In, in other words, so let's go back to our model that we had before. The, the fundamental difference between Mishkan and Mikdash is again is as follows. Mishkan, Mishkan, that Betzal made and so on, is a house, is a dwelling place for God that you hands-on are building. You hands-on are building. You are active, you are, you are taking an active role in that. You are putting your stamp in it. You are sanctifying it. You are sanctifying. That's Mishkan. Beis HaMikdash, Beis HaMikdash is something else. Mikdash means, Mikdash means a temple in Eretz Yisrael, obviously, on the Temple Mount. And the mitzvah is that it should be done. That it should be done. You are not active in that. You are not the ones that are creating that. When we fulfilled, let's go back, when we fulfilled basic level, Mechiyas HaMolek of Yeshua Benun, we were to Mishkan. When we fulfill next level, Mechias Amalek of David Melech destroying their nationhood, we're Zaycha to Mikdash. But when we're Zaycha to the highest level of Mechias Amalek, absolutely eradicating every shred, every red, every last trace of Amalek, then we're Zaycha to something altogether different, which is a temple in Eretz Yisrael on Harabayas, which is called the Beis Hamikdash but with the qualities of Mishkan. A Beis HaMikdash in Eretz Yisrael, where, where it has the qualities of Mishkan, that it's us doing it hands-on, where in fact the mitzvah is us to build it. And this is hinted to, this final strange union of it being a Beis HaMikdash in Eretz Yisrael, but yet having qualities of Mishkan in terms of, of its building being uh, that the that us are that we're the mamish the ones doing it, is hinted to in the Rambam. Where is the see like this? The Rambam, as I quoted before in Hilchas Beis Abachira, where he's talking about just Beis Hamikdash. His language is: there's a mitzvah of lasis. Make sure that Beis Hamikdash is made, and he quotes the pasuk: "Asli Mikdash v'shechanti v'saycham." What's interesting is is the Rambam in Hilchas Malachim, where he's talking about the third Beis Hamikdash. The Rambam's language over there is what? The Rambam's language is as follows. He says, the mitzvah is livnois beis abachira, not lasis. Now it's livnois beis abachira to build, to, to actually go and build the beis amigdash proper with your hands. And he quotes the pasuk. The pasuk is, l'shichnoi sidrashu uvasasham. L'shichnoi sidrashu uvasasham, the language of Mishkan. So when it comes to Hilchas Beis Abachira, where the Ramam is describing the first Beis Hamikdash and uh, what Beis Hamikdash is by itself, he quotes the pasuk of Asuli Mikdash v'shechanti b'saycham, and he describes the process of building that temple as lasas. Make sure it gets done. But all of a sudden, when the Ramam describes the third Beis Hamikdash and the ideal mitzvah, the ideal state of what a Beis HaMikdash is about, which comes after a full, complete Mechia Samalek, over there, we're talking about a Beis HaMikdash, we're talking about a, a temple in Yerushalayim, 
in, in, in Eretz Yisrael, in that place, that's obviously based on Migdash, but he's describing it with Mishkan terms. He's describing it as live nice Beis HaBechira, where the act of building is already the mitzvah, similar to the Mishkan. And he quotes the Pasuk of L'Shech Naisidrashu, Uvasa to go search out the Mishkan, even though he's describing the Beis HaMikdash. Because this is what's going on over here. Again, this is still just the skeleton. That, again, so you have stage one of Mechias Amalek produces stage one temple, which is Mishkan. Mishkan. Which is in Chutzlaretz. It's outside of Eretz Yisrael. And the mitzvah is hands-on, you're producing it. That's Mishkan. Then you have stage two Mechias Amalek of Davra Melech, which produces, allows us to have something altogether different, which is Beis HaMikdash. Beis HaMikdash means in Eretz Yisrael. And the mitzvah is not to actually do it and to create it, it's to have it be done. But then the final, final level of Mechias HaMolek allows us entrance into this new paradoxical dynamic of it's a temple in Eretz Yisrael, which is a Beis HaMikdash quality, but yet it has qualities of Mishkan in terms of the building of the third base HaMikdash being hands-on. The mitzvah is to actually build it hands-on, not just that it should be built, but it's hands-on, similar to Mishkan. You follow this? Yeah. You're muted, I can't hear you. In the first two cases, uh, we had a clear path. We were able to identify a malik, and we yeah. knew what we had to do. Whether we executed, uh, you know, to the fullest extent or not, is, you know, we see the results. Nowadays, I don't see the path forward to uh, right. complete Amalek. Uh, we don't know who they are. We can guess, you know, and there's no one who can tell, uh, right. you know, this is who you have to wipe out. Right. You know, how is it going to happen? Or exactly. Gonna ha- you know, become clear. Right. You know, so, suddenly- right. So the truth is like this. There, there, there are two aspects to that. First of all, First of all, once we we now move into the next to the second stage of our discussion, which is going to be more than a shama, and really understanding these gradations and levels, and really defining for us what a malik is, in terms of the soul, so then we'll be able to have a clear understanding of what a malik now means in a spiritual sense within ourselves. And you're right; we we might not no longer have the mitzvah of literally destroying a nationhood of a malik or even citizens for that matter. But what um, the the residual effect, the 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 remnant of a Molek within the self, that final level of mechias Amolek, that's what we would have to fulfill in order to allow us to experience the third base of mikdash, which is a unification of mikdash and mishkan together. So that's what we're going to have to find. That's what we're going to have to investigate. Okay, hard parts over. Okay, hard parts over. You survived. Now we're going to be able to go into uh, a different hard part. Okay, so <laughs> go like this. This idea that the Raghachavar revealed to us, that there is a Mishkan whose essence, whose Kedusha is produced by the human being, and then you have Mikdash, whose Kedusha is not produced by the human being. We facilitate it being there, but we're not the ones producing it. What is the Pnimis of that? What does that mean? What is, why is it that the Mishkan requires Klai Yisrael to actually build it? And the Beis HaMikdash requires us just to allow it to be and to sort of, you know, set the stage for Beis HaMikdash. What exactly does that mean? All right, so let me share with you an idea that we find in the writings of Rav Tzadik HaKain, okay? In, in, in one of Rav Tzadik's svarim, in Resisei Laila, in a piece of Dalit in Resisei Laila, it's mamish. it's an amazing piece. Rav Tzadik points out the following thing. 
the word, so, you know, well, you know, the tabernacle we call Mishkan, right? The temple we call Mikdash. And we kind of think they're synonymous. Okay, they're both temples. One was built by Moshe uh, in the desert, and one is built by Shlomo Melch in Eretz Yisrael. Okay, they look a little bit differently. One's more solid, one's more temporary. But the uh, same basic idea. Says Ratzadik, not so at all. Take a look at the words. Ratzadik says the word Mishkan and word Mikdash mean opposites. The word Mishkan comes from the word Shechina, which means to reside, to be present, to be there. The word Mikdash comes from the word Kaidish, which means separate, Muvdal, completely distinct. Says Ratzadik as follows. There are two different relationships a Jew can have with God. There is the most basic relationship. There is the initial contact that one has with God. That's called Mishkan. And then there's higher level contact with the Rabbani Shalom. That's called Mikdash. What does that mean? You see, Amalek, what is Amalek? And as we move on deeper and deeper in getting rid of Amalek, we allow ourselves deeper and deeper contact with God. What is Amalek? Amalek is that impurity that unfortunately is woven within the world and within ourselves that stops us from seeking God's presence. That's what Amalek is. Amalek is, you know, way down the line, you know, is there an actual temptation to speak Lashon Hara? And way down the line, is there an actual test of like, you know, eating something that's not kosher? But Rashis, Gaim, Amalek, those are all like the 70 nations, you know? But the beginning, the root, what's the root that eventually leads to all these problems? The very root is some sort of coldness and some sort of uh, cloud in the heart of a Jew that stops him or her from seeking God. Once there is a barrier, once there is this coldness that's injected in where the person is not a mavakish, where the person is not asking, is not searching, not wanting anything more of their lives, then it's only a matter of time until that poison eventually takes the form of Lashon Hara and, and who knows what. But the very origin, what a Amalek is, is a, a certain level of disinterest, a level of disinterest in wanting to grow, wanting to find God, in wanting to seek God, and wanting to come in contact with God. It's like, you know, it's like the famous thing that they say from the Kotzker, right? They asked the Kotzker when he was a kid, they said, you know, Mendel, they say that you're, that you're clever. Where is God? So what the, what the Kotzkers say, everyone knows, wherever man lets him in. Wherever man lets him in. That's the Avaidah. And that's called Mechiyas HaMolik. Mechiyas HaMolik means, on a much deeper level, it doesn't just mean wiping out a people and killing people. Within the self, it means how, how much contact do you want with God? Do you, no contact at all, that's called HaMolik is Mamish strong. But first level Mechiyas HaMolik, first level Mechiyas HaMolik allows a person entrance into first contact with God. What's first contact with God? First contact with God is called Mishkan. Mishkan means a level of a side of God that is within our reach, that's within our ability to fully comprehend and to fully process and experience. I'll give you an example. Every time you say a bracha, right? So you make a shahakal, mazainus, whatever it is. How does the bracha begin? Baruch Ata Hashem. Baruch Ata Hashem means that you're speaking to Hashem in second person. Second person means that I'm a human being 
with my weaknesses, with my frailties, with my certain assumptions, with my expectations. Uh, You know, one plus one is two. That's where I'm coming from. Certain facts, certain uh, certain baggage that I'm coming from, certain preconceived notions of, of reality. And God says, I am going to meet you in your place. I'm going to come to you on your terms. I'm going to show myself and reveal myself as, as is comfortable for you. Chazal said that when Moshe Rabbeinu first experienced prophecy by the burning bush, so the voice that Hashem called out to him with was the voice of Amram. When Moshe Rabbeinu heard Hashem speaking to him, the first voice, the, Hashem like, you know, sort of played that trick of, of manipulating God's voice and it should come to Moshe's ears as Amram. Why? Because that's first contact. First contact is a God that you're comfortable with, a God that you know, a God that under, that's understandable to you, a God that makes sense, a God that you can say, Baruch Atta Havaya. When Shmuel Hanavi is also having his first prophecy, so he, at, Hashem is contacting him in the voice of who? Of his Rebbe Eli. And to, to such a degree that he actually thinks it's his Rebbe. And he keeps on going, waking up Eli and says, Rebbe, what do you want? And Eli's like, I didn't say anything. Because that's first contact. First, the Rebbe comes to you, Basher Husham, where you are. That's the word Mishkan. The word Mishkan is, V'shechanti B'Saycham. Hashem says, I will reside within you, within each one of you, with your impurities, with your misunderstandings, with your preconceived notions, a God that you're able to understand, to comprehend. This, there's an entire side of Yiddishkeit, which is the embodiment of this side of godliness, which is, which is tangible, sort of, almost, and that's called Tyra. What is it that you're doing when you learn Tyra? Well, ho- hopefully... Hopefully, whenever you sit down to learn, you come after the learning session understanding more. Right? That's the hope. That's the hope. I, I hope that's what's going to happen as well over here. That's the, that's the point of Tyra, that you should come to Tyra with questions and you leave with answers. The God that is, that is being manifest, the God that is revealing himself to you, the God that you're connecting to in Tyra is a God that's understandable, is a God that's tangible, is a God that's working within your frame of reference. Hashem is saying, fine, one plus one is two, let's keep it that way. And within one plus one is two, this is me. It's a God that's typhusable, it's manageable. Basic level, in other words, basic level of wanting to connect to God, still within your comfort zone, of course, I'm not willing to let go of one plus one equals two, but within my comfort zone, subduing Amalek, like Yeshua Benun does, allows us entrance into Mishkan. And this is why, as the Ragachavar said, the mitzvah of Mishkan is what? Is you build the Mishkan. It's hands-on. It's the Mishkan that's it, 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 it's completely within your grasp. It's a God that, not that you're, that you're making, but it's a God that fits within your frame of reference. You are actually producing the Mishkan. That's level one. But then, you know, when you say a bracha, then you move on. Baruch to Hashem. All of a sudden, the beginning of the bracha is speaking in second person. You, king of the universe. But all of a sudden, when you get to the very end, it's now talking to God in third person. That everything was created with his words. His. Rav Tzavik says that's mikdash. Whereas mishkan means a God that's understandable, that's knowable, that's relatable, that's not trying to disrupt completely your lifestyle, 
That's not trying to completely disrupt everything you know. It's manageable. That's the Mishkan. And by the way, that's Chutzlaretz. The Mishkan is in Chutzlaretz. The God of Chutzlaretz is a God that's uh, within reason. It's, it's manageable. Doesn't, it, takes, it doesn't take that much mysterious nefesh. It's, uh, it's manageable. In the writings of Rav Kook, you find this very often. When Rav Kook, uh, everything he wrote about was the contrast of Eretz Yisrael versus Chutzlaretz. And the Yiddishkeit of, of Chutzlaretz, he always describes as a Yiddishkeit which is sort of on the human being's terms. It's on the human being's terms. So much so that the Gemara, in fact, says a scary statement. The Gemara says, anyone that lives in Chutzlaretz, it's as if he's living without a God. It's as if he's serving idols. So if he's serving idols, I'm, I, I believe in God. I'm, I'm serving the God of our ancestors, the God of Avram, Yudke Vavke. But the answer is, the God of Chutzlaretz is a God that's, that, 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 that is a God of the Mishkan. It's, a, it's, it's one that you're building. It's a God that makes sense to you. That God is not trying to obliterate everything you know. It's not, he's not trying to bring you to a higher place, His country. He's going into, your, into, into the country of the Umas Ailam. That's called the Mishkan in Chutzlaretz. But then you have Beis HaMikdash. Beis HaMikdash is altogether something different. Davra Melech, Davra Melech, conquers Amalek to the next degree. The next degree of conquering Amalek means, Rabbi Shalom, I don't just want to sit where I am in my comfortable, comfortable place and experiencing something amazing. That's called Mishkan, Skavaldik. The second level of Mechiyas Amalek says, Rabbi Shalom, I am willing to move out of everything I know. I'm willing to get out of everything I know. I'm, I want the truth. I want the truth. And the original says, you want the truth? I want the truth. What's the truth? One plus one is not two. One plus one is not two. One plus one is two. That's something, that's a construct that the Rabbanu Shalom created for human beings to be comfortable with. But one plus one could be three. One plus one could be three. There are no... The Rabbanu Shalom of Mikdash is a God that's unknown. It's a God that's described as Kaddish. Kaddish means separate, muvdal, unknowable. It's the God of davening. It's the God of davening. See, whereas Torah is primarily about coming away with answers, Tefillah is primarily about coming away with questions. When, we, when you daven Shemana and you take three steps back, you know, the Gemara says you take three steps back. Why? Because, you know, it's like a servant that receives a gift from his master and he takes three steps back and thanks. So the Achorinim asks, what, what, what gift? I daven Rafenu and the person's still sick. I, let, me, let me go to the hospital and check if I got the gift. And then I'll take three steps back. What, what does that mean? So the Achorinim say, no, no, no. The very fact that when you say Rafenu, you're acknowledging, Rabbanu Shloylam, I have no control at all. I have no control over whether this person is, is healthy or well. I have no control over my parnasa. I have no control over my own intellect. And deeper than that, I, I don't know anything. I have, I, I have nothing. I assume one plus one is two because you put that in my head. And you want me to believe that. But in one second, you can create a scenario where one plus one is three. That's called mikdash. You know, there's a mitzvah that's called Moira Mikdash. Moira Mikdash means to have awe and dread of Beis HaMikdash. So, and this, so that means that the Beis HaMikdash itself is a place that produces Yiras Hashem. 
The Pasuk says, it's a simple Pasuk in Chumash, the Pasuk says that the purpose of giving Meiser, Meiser Sheni for example, and so on, is to facilitate a Yid that uh, has a kibbutz somewhere in the north. I wanted to, says the, says the Pasuk, I wanted to experience Beis HaMikdash. So I make this mitzvah of Meiser Sheni, forcing him to get to the Beis HaMikdash one time. Why? Says the Pasuk, because if he goes to Beis HaMikdash, he'll have Yeres Hashem. Why? What is it about Mikdash that produces Yeres Hashem? You know what Yeres Hashem is? Yeres Hashem doesn't mean to be afraid of, you know, uh, of getting punished. Yeres Hashem doesn't mean to be afraid of any repercussions. Yeres Hashem means the sense that you have when you, when you completely surrender all power. All power to a being that's not a threat. See, that's the difference between Yeres Hashem and fears of this world. When a person is walking down the block and, uh, you know, and, uh, and there's, there's rustling behind the bushes, right? Let's say, they, you know, go by the bushes and there's the rustling there. I'm afraid. Why? Because I don't know what's there. And whatever is there could be a threat. When those two things come together, the unknown, the unknown, and it might be a threat, that scares me. That's called human fear. But Yeris Hashem is what? Is it's the unknown. See, Mishkan, I know who the Mish, I know the God of the Mishkan. That doesn't produce Yira, that produces comfort. That's why Nadav and Aviu, with the Mishkan, ran in without asking my Aaron after drinking wine with complete comfort. Because that was a result of experiencing the God of Mishkan. Mikdash is not like that. Beis Hamikdash is not like that. Beis Hamikdash is a God of the, the that is unknown. And the experience of that is the experience of Davening. It's the experience of allow, of surrendering what one's kaychus, of surrendering everything we think we know and we think we're in control of. That's the God of Mikdash. And because of that, like the Raghachara says, the mitzvah of, of Mikdash is what? You're not building the Mikdash. You cannot build the, Mishka, the Mikdash. The whole Indian of Mikdash is what? It's not you. You just sit back and watch it be built. That's the whole Indian of Mikdash. This is why Ratzadik also explains that the Indian of the Beis HaMikdash is, is unique versus the Mishkan. The Mishkan is a place that was more focused on the individual. On the individual. On the individual. Moshe goes in personally to have his request. Chazal make a point that every single Yid had his corner, his particular area of the Mishkan that he donated. It was more individualized. Because that's what the Mishkan means. The Mishkan means your personal Whatever level of understanding you have, God fits into your box. And there's many different boxes. Everyone has a different level. But when it comes to the Beis HaMikdash, which is the, un, the God that's the unknown, everyone, sh- everyone shares a ceiling. You know, you might have, there might be different levels of understanding, and the word Baruch Atta might, be, might vary from one person to the next. But Shehakol Nibavare, but the unknown side of God, that's universal. I'll give you an example. There's a Maisa they say with the Balatanya. It's Kavaldga Maisa that uh, he was once by a chasana and there was a Badchan there saying jokes. And the Badchan noticed the Balatanya there and all of a sudden, you know, the jokes were like more clean, you know, and more, more like subdued, you know. The Rebbe's there. But the Rebbe noticed that he wasn't, uh, you know, doing his best stuff. So the Rebbe like sort of like told the God, but he told him he, he could go, you know, let him, let him, you know, let him uh, make jokes. It's fine. And so, and so the Badchan says, made icons with the Rebbe, he said, it's okay, Rebbe. So he's like, yeah, go. 
So the Rebbe, so the Badchen took a Lechaim just to, you know, get his nerves. And he says to the Rebbe, he says, I don't think there's much of a difference between me and you. Uh, with all due respect, I don't think there's much of a difference. So everyone's like, what is that? So he says like this, he says, there are things that I know, whatever I know, the Rebbe knows. There are things the Rebbe knows that I don't know. But there are things the Rebbe doesn't know either. And the amount of things the Rebbe doesn't know is much, is infinite compared to the things that the Rebbe knows that I don't know. So compared to the ocean of infinity that the Rebbe doesn't know, what's the napkin between me and you? The Baltanists start to cry, and it became like a whole big avoidavayim. See, that's Beis HaMikdash. Beis HaMikdash is where all Jews are able to be unified in that experience. Why? Because whatever you know, whatever this guy knows, it pales in comparison to how much you both don't know. And that's a good thing. That's called Yeres Hashem. That's called Yeres Hashem. It actually produces achtos. Therefore, the Beis HaMikdash is a place of where the entire Jewish people, the entire world for that matter, focuses their davening on that place. Focuses their davening in that place. Why? Because it's the universal, it's the unifying point. Because there's so much more that we don't know than we do. And whatever we do, whatever individualized levels we have in terms of Mishkan, is nothing compared to how much we don't know. That's Mishkan. That's, that's Mikdash. That's Gavaldik. But that's not, the, that's not the Tachlis. The purpose, ultimately, of creation was what? Is that the Rabbani Shalom wanted us to derive pleasure from attaching ourselves to Him. Right? That's the purpose of creation. For us to be able to be nana miziv hashchina, to derive pleasure from attachment to God. The, the tachlis of, of, of this world, ultimately, is the paradox of uniting Mishkan and Mikdash together. Which is what? Is the, see, pleasure comes from understanding. When you learn something, oh, it clicks, there's a tanug, there's a pleasure in that. There's a pleasure in that. No one has pleasure from not knowing. But the not knowing is a much deeper experience. So, not knowing is deeper, but not kishmak. Knowing is Gishmak, but not so deep. The Tachlis of creation is for the Rabbani Shloylam to allow us the ability to grasp Him, but at the same time, what we're grasping is with an intense understanding that this is our point of contact to that which we don't know. And that's our way of entrance into that place of I don't know through what I do know. It's like, you know, the, the, one of the great tzaddikim was uh, Rabbi Herschel Zidichover. Herschel Zidichover, the great tzaddikim. So he, uh, the Chassidish Rebbe, so he said like this, he said his, you know, it's, it's, it's well known that there's such a thing that whenever you learn a Gemara, you should review it four times, right? Such a thing. So that's why, you, you know, it's, they say like in Rashi, in every blot of Gemara, so there's four lines of Rashi before the lines get narrow. To remind you to chaz the Gemara four times. So Rabbi Herschel Zidichover used to say that this is how he does it. When he first learns the Gemara, uh, it doesn't really happen yet. The second time, okay, get in there, get in there. Third time, I get it. And then he reviews it a fourth time to make sure he doesn't get it, and now he moves on. That's, that's the four times he learns. Because that's the secret. The secret is not to disregard what you know. See, again, that's, see, that's the dynamic between Mishkan and Niktash where there's two separate entities, sort of, or two separate realities. There's the God that I know, which is Gishmak, 
It's Mishkan, but it's not so deep. And then you have Mikdash. Then you have, I no, I don't know anything. I mamish don't know anything. I'm humbled. I'm, I'm nullified. I'm powerless, which is deep. But that's not, the Hashem doesn't want us to feel that, that, that helpless either. The Tachlis is, based on Mikdash in Eretz Yisrael. Eretz Yisrael means God's domain. Chutzlar, it's meant Hashem coming, fitting into our box as human beings. One plus one equals two, let's assume. Eretz Yisrael means one plus one is three. That's why in Eretz Yisrael, again, we could speak amongst ourselves because I don't know how many Israelis there are, but you, sp- you go down the block, you speak to a real Eretz Yisrael dicker. Maybe one, if you say one plus one is two, he'll argue. Maybe it's like one plus one is three. Why is it that in Eretz Yisrael there's such a, there's such an issue, I guess the word's machlaikis, but an issue of like, Yid not being able to be on the same page, not to agree on one, on one point. The answer is because the light of Eretz Yisrael is the light of not knowing. It's the light of Mikdash. It's the light of not knowing. So anything you know in Eretz Yisrael is nullified. The Gemara says, for example, one of the great Amaroyim, when he made Aliyah to Eretz Yisrael, he fasted 40 days that he should forget Talmud Bavli. You should forget Talmud Bavli. See, that's such a thing. He had to fast in order to forget it. It's such a thing. Why? Because Talmud Bavli means Mishkan. Yushalmi means, I don't know. I have no idea. That's why we paskin Bavli, right? Because Halacha means all the different shmuzin. It's all very, very nice. Lamaisa, is it kosher or not? Yushalmi is not answering that. Bavli is answering that. Because Bavli means Lamaisa, the box. What do I know? So we paskin Bavli. Yushalmi Yushalmi is davening. Yushalmi is davening melech. Yushalmi is tefillah. Yushalmi is nevuah. Yushalmi is bittel. Yushalmi is not knowing. But the tachlis is, Yumaisa Mashiach, what's third base of Migdash? Like the Rambam said, is what? Is that you're going to have a temple in Eretz Yisrael that's called Beis Migdash, but the qualifications and the, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the character traits of that temple is going to be Mishkan-like. So it's live nice lahem beis avichir, not last nice beis Live nice beis avichir, the act of building. L'shich nice sidrushu v'asashama, and that comes when a Jew completely eradicates a malak from within themselves, because when a Jew is fully willing to give themselves over to God, and God is not at all concerned that there's any ego there, and He's not at all concerned that there's any part of you that's still hesitant, that still may be holding back. If you're all in, then the Rebbe says, you know what? Okay, if you're all in, then I'm going to allow myself to be given to you. What does that mean? I'm going to allow you to experience the unbelievable pleasure of coming in contact with what you don't know. And then all of a sudden, what until now was awe, was yira, all of a sudden becomes this funny mixture of fear and love at the same time. Ahavasi mitach yirasi, joy and dread at the same time. That's Purim. This is the antiv of Purim. What's Purim? See, you know, there's an old joke that they say, um, and I hope no one here is offended by this joke, but it's a joke, it's not my joke. The joke is, you know, in the Megillah Sester, there's a few psukim that are said with the, the nigan of Eicha, right? You know, so the joke is why why put that over there? Why why you why you bring Eich over there? So the joke is that Misnagdim and Litfax should have Simchas Purim too. So you have to put some tissue above uh, in it as well. But let's that, that's a joke and it's not so nice. It's anti-Semitic. Okay, but 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 what's the but 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 what, what what's well what's the real truth? Taka, why is Tishabov in the middle of Purim? 
The answer is the secret of Purim is Yira and Ahav at the same time. The Simch of Purim is, is to know what I don't know. Is to feel the Gishmak and to feel the pleasure of coming in contact with what I don't know. See, until Purim, which is a Yontif, which is, as I said in the beginning, is a taste of that ultimate level of Nechiyas Amalek, which is going to allow us entrance into this Mishkan Mikdash dynamic, which is eternal. So that's forever. See, Mishkan is not forever. Mikdash is not forever. Whenever you're dealing with extreme, one category, if it's one or the other, it's doomed to ultimately, ultimately fail. But when you have a union between the two, that's forever. They keep each other in check. When, when it's all about knowing, when it's all Tyra, you can become conceited and full of yourself. When it's all tefillah and it's all not knowing, you could become a, a puddle. But when you have this dynamic of what? Of knowing and not knowing at the same time. Everything I know fuels my humility to what I don't know. And everything, every time I come in contact with what I don't know, inspires me to know more. When you have this dynamic of one building off the other, Mishkan, Mikdash, Mikdash, Mishkan, that's forever. And that's the Yantav of Purim. The Yantav of Purim is Adaloyada. It's to know, to, to, to have so much knowledge to reach what I don't know. That's Adaloyada. Adaloyada means to learn Taira. And Torah is tefillah. I'll give you an example. The Gemara says in Megillah, the Gemara asks, why don't we say Hal on Purim? We say Hal on Purim. So the Gemara gives a few answers. One of the answers is, Kriyasa, Zuihilula. When you read the Megillah, that's called Hal. That's Hal. That's Persumenisa. That's the same equivalent as Hal. The Megillah is Torah. You're learning. When you, Megillah says, that's a part of Tanakh. It's a savior of Tanakh. You're learning. Hal is tefillah. See what the Gemara is doing. Kriyasa, Zuihilula. The learning of the Megillah Sester is itself tefillah. Is itself tefillah. The, when Amalek attacked us originally, so the Jewish people were deserving of that attack because the Pasuk says they asked the question of what? Is Hashem with us or not? Look at uncertainty. On a deeper level, the meaning of that is Yesh means what I do know. Ayin means what I don't know. Im yesh Hashem bekerbenu. Im ayin means two separate categories. Torah is on one side, tefillah is on the other. That itself is the mistake that eventually brings Amalek into a person's life. Well, there is only one God. And that one God is absolutely knowable and completely unknowable. Halach so what does this mean? It means that every single one of us, Bez Hashem, Puts on tefillin, right? So I, it's it's dark already. It's probably nighttime ready by you. So tomorrow morning, as I show you, put on tefillin. Every single one of you knows exactly what tefillin are. You've been doing it for years. You know what tefillin. You know what it feels like. You could do it in your sleep. Maybe we do do it in our sleep sometimes, right? That's what tefillin are. That's called the no the known side of tefillin. But the real the real secret of being a yid is to be able to say, I know exactly what tefillin are. And I have no idea what tefillin are. And that's what makes putting on tefillin so amazing. Because I'm putting these boxes around my arms, and it's tangible, it's knowable, I can tell you the details, I know what it feels like. This is tefillin. It's not, tefillin is not something else. This is tefillin. But what is tefillin? I have no idea. I have no idea. The, the, what I usually, you know, like I said, you know, wearing tzitzis. 
So I ask, I ask guys, and the guys in the in the shul, I've, I've asked this before. I, what what is this? I don't know if you can see. What is this? So no. Tzitzis, yeah, tzitzis, incorrect. These are strings that we wear in order to allow us entrance into that place in the soul and that place in divinity that's called tzitzis. This is an entrance into that place that's called tzitzis. But this is not tzitzis, although it is tzitzis. It's known and not known. That's Yiddishkeit. This is the Yiddishkeit that was forgotten before Purim. When, when, when Haman said that the Jewish people are asleep, you know, that was his Lashonar, that they're asleep from mitzvahs. What does it mean to be asleep? Asleep means body and soul disconnected, right? That's what sleep means. It's a little bit of death. The body means what I know. The soul means what I don't know. And the disconnect between the two, that's called being asleep. The yontif of Purim is what? Drink until you fall asleep. It means, it means, it means uh, it, get to that place of not knowing. But you have to get to that place of now. You bring your awareness to there. You know everything of Yiddishkeit. You know what mitzvahs feel like. You know what tzitzis feels like. You know what Shabbos looks like. But you don't know what Shabbos is. If a person thinks that they've ever really kept Shabbos, you've never kept Shabbos. Once you begin to acknowledge the fact that I keep Shabbos, but I don't know what Shabbos is, that's called Shabbos. That's called Shabbos. That's what Purim is. This is the sim- Purim is therefore a yontif of 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 connecting opposites. This is the inyan of a ben chutzlaretz that comes to Eretz Yisrael. Why is it that Mashiach is going to come with kibbutz Goliath, with the ingathering of the exiles? We we can think of that as a, in a superficial way. Well, obviously, I mean, if Yidin are in chutzlaretz and Mashiach means we have to be in Eretz Yisrael, so obviously they have to come from chutzlaretz to Eretz Yisrael. But there's nothing in Yiddishkeit that's just like happens to be. There's an avoid in everything. So what's the avoida of kibbutz Goliath? What's the avoida of Jews from, uh, whether it be California, the five towns, whatever the case may be, coming to Eretz Yisrael? The avoida of kibbutz Goliath is this union of Mishkan and Mikdash. That's Purim. Purim is the one yantif, which is a completely chutzlar sticky yantif, but the whole union of Purim is setting up the stage for the rebuilding of the second base of Megdash, which is Eretz Yisrael. So the whole Indian of Purim is connecting Chutzars with Eretz Yisrael. That's why there's such a thing as, 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 as Shushan Purim, right? What, Shushan Purim is set up based on the city of Shushan, which is in Chutzlars. But how, do you, how old of a city do you have to be to qualify to be Shushan Purim? As old as, if the walls are as old as Yeshua Benun, which is Eretz Yisrael. So Gemara says, because we, we don't want to, we don't want Yerushalayim to be left out in the cold. What does Yerushalayim have anything to do with Purim? What, what, what shaykhis? There were no, it's Chutzlarts. The answer is that's all. The idea of Purim is connecting Chutzlarts with Eretz Yisrael. To be Euler, to be Euler, to go to Eretz Yisrael means to be able to say, I'm a Ben Chutzlarts, which means I know exactly what Yishkait's about. I know, I know Tzitzis, I know Tfilin, I know Shabbos, I know Kashras, I'm a Tamabavli, Dikayid, I have the answers. But I, at the same time, I have absolutely no idea what Yiddishkeit is about. And the fact that, it's, that Yiddishkeit is tangible, but what I'm holding on to is unknown, that's the greatest pleasure of all. That's the greatest pleasure of all. That's Purim. That's Mamash Yantav of Purim. It's Noisi HaFochim. Everything about Purim is like this. It's, 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 it's touching and not touching. It's knowing and not knowing. Everything is a circle. The Avera of Purim, 
was the mitzvah. The Rabbanu Shalom facilitates the, the, the Esther Amalka being placed as queen because of the Suda that we went to. Everything's upside down. That's the Yantav Let me end up with a quick story. Okay, I've said this story before. I hope, Again, I don't know. It could be some of you listened to all these terms, so this is all repetitive. I don't know. I hope not. But uh, although th- this is a, I didn't, I never said this to her before. But this mice I've said before, but you'll forgive me. So the mice is like this. There was um, uh, the Chais of Ublin once went. Uh, the Chais the of Ublin, his Rebbe was the Naimin Lemelech, Lemelech of Ajansk. So to make a long story short, the Chais of Ublin was traveling to his Rebbe for a Shabbos. And he's traveling along the way, and uh, you know, one night in the week, he stops off at a Kretschmann, at, at an inn, a hotel, whatever. And there's other yidin there, different parts, different places. And the chayza, you know, he has good eyes, and he happens to notice there's a particular yid sitting in the room over there, and he's like saying Tilm or whatever. And the chayza notices, oh, this yid's a tzaddik, he's a, a chashva yid. So he goes over, gets into conversation with him, and. Uh, and the Chayza, after the more he talks to this yid, the more he's he's certain in in his instincts that this guy's a big tzaddik. So after the end of the conversation, the Chayza says, "Listen, you know, let's cut the charade. You're a big tzaddik. I can tell." He's like, "No, no, speak straight. I know you're a big tzaddik. Who's your rebbe?" So he's like, "I don't have a rebbe." So you don't have a rebbe? You just you're a big oivet Hashem just on your own. He said, "Listen, I don't have a rebbe." So he said, "Listen, I have a rebbe. The Naimilamelech." If you're such a big tzaddik without a rebbe, so can you imagine how great you'll be with a rebbe? So come with me for Shabbos. Uh, change your life. Okay, fine. So he does. That's what he does. So they're traveling together. Chayz is so excited, you know, because one of the one of the avodas of the tzaddikim were to be fishermen for the big tzaddikim, right? So they would go out and chop neshamas. It's like he thought he uh, chop something. So he brings the gift to the name of the melech. The melech opens the door. Looks at them, looks at the chayz with a big smile. Is this Talmud? And then he looks at this other year, and he's mamish like disgusted. The noyim melech says, I, "I can't look at such a person. You have to get him out of my out of my sight." It's like, okay, so he pulls him away, and the chayza goes to the to the noyim melech, and the noyim melech is like so like he said, "I have to go to the mikvah after I saw him." I, it's, so after the whole thing, so the chayza says to the rebbe, he says, "Rebbe, I don't understand. I mean, I I saw this guy, spoke to him. I I know my eyes. He's a he's a big tzaddik." So what's going on? So the Melch said like this. He said there are four types of Yidin. There's one type of Jew who's a Russia, and he knows he's a Russia. Such a Jew, I could fix. Okay. There's another type of Jew. He's a Russia. He thinks he's a Tzaddik. I could also fix that type of Jew. Because it's only a matter of time until he figures out he's a Russia. And then you have another type of Jew. A Tzaddik who thinks he's a Russia. That's Kavaldik. Then you have a fourth type. A Tzaddik who knows he's a Tzaddik. Such a Jew, I can't fix. Such a Jew, I can't fix. The person you brought is a tzaddik, and he knows he's a tzaddik. There's no tikkun for such a yid. So the chayzeh says, so what should I do? So the chayzeh said, you know, in a week from now, my brother Abzusha is going to be coming for Shabbos too. Maybe me and my brother together, we could find this guy a tikkun. So he says, fine. So he brings him the next Shabbos. That brings him into the room with the Ramel, the Rebbe Abzusha. He's in there for a little bit. He comes out, eyes red, crying. And the yid says to the chayzeh, he says, until now... I was a tzaddik and I thought I was a tzaddik. Now I'm a tzaddik, but I know, but I know I'm not a tzaddik. As he said, that's the mice. That's Purim. That's Purim. Purim is to know every single one. We know, we know who God is. Baruch Ata Hashem. You say you, when you say Hashem's name, when a child says Hashem's name, he's talking about the same God that Rishon Baruch was talking about. Mamish, a, a, a five-year-old kid that says a shahakal is talking to the same God as Rishon Baruch 
Mamish. But it's not the same. And that's the greatness of Yiddishkeit. You get the same, the same mitzvah, the same avayda, the same sefer, the same gemara, the same yudke vavke. And every single one of us are holding on to that, but it's altogether different. And those, those different levels of what? Of, of I'm a tzaddik, but I know I'm not. That, that's what makes a Yiddishkeit of Adlo Yada. Hashem should bless each and one of you. That just as your B'nai Chutzlarets that have been Eilatari to Yisrael, again, I don't mean, you know, maybe some of you for, the, for a short time, maybe some of you for the long haul, whatever the case may be. But right now, your Neshamas have found themselves in such a place of from Chutzlarets to Eretz Yisrael. So you should be Zechot together with all of us as we prepare for Purim to be Zechot to that generation that are able to talk and make Aliyah in the right way, to, to bring the, the God that's known to the side of God that's unknown, to bake Yiddishkeit, a Yiddishkeit that's full of Yira and full of Ahav at the same time, a Bechin of Adlo Yada, together to be Meicha Amalek completely, to become a Vakshim in the real way, and to come in contact with the third base of Mikdash of Mishkan, Ikri Mikdash, Mikdash, Ikri Mishkan, the Bias Gold Sadiq, Mihar Vimenu Amen. Thank you very much for uh, the opportunity. Thanks, my pleasure, my pleasure. Thanks.